Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's still 1130 and uh, on the 31st. This is Opposed in the Matrix, and <clears throat> I'm Dave. If you've been around, you know me. If not, now you know me. Um, tonight, I've gotten onto this uh, format in order to talk about something that really bothers me, is when generals become politicians. And they always do, okay? With very rare exceptions, uh, MacArthur was not a politician, but he was a great general. Patton was almost accused of uh, having political ambitions. He even made a statement um, to General Bradley. He said, man, he says, I don't want to be a politician. I have no political ambitions. He said, I just want to be a soldier. I want to be great for my army and for my country. And But for some reason, the politicians that um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a cross right there, um, you know, cross, <laughs> um, in that there's civilians that run the military. The Secretary of Defense is a civilian. He runs the military. The president is a civilian. He runs the military. Well, I, I don't know. He just runs his mouth. This one does. Um, but so it's hard for the generals, I think, to be generals. They have to be generals and politicians, and it seems like the latter always wins out. I don't know what, what the politicians do. I think what they do is they hire these guys, or these guys are, <clears throat> of course, they're, they're uh, to be a general, you have to be approved by, was it the Senate or the Congress? I think it's the Senate. And, and that's how you get your stars. So the minute a um, colonel gets a star, all of a sudden they're not a soldier anymore, they're a politician. And it's proven out to be so true over the years. So... Anyway, uh, that in mind, we have to remember that, uh, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate, and really, I'm, I'm doing devil's advocate here because I don't like the general staff. Uh, <clears throat> they've been corrupt. They mean, in World War II, they were corrupt. They tried to hang Patton, you know, figurative. I mean, literally. No, figuratively, sorry. And... Um, you know, they, everything he did, you know, he got into trouble for because they, they he had a target on his back. The military, excuse me, the politicians didn't like him. They wanted him ousted. Thank God Eisenhower didn't fall to that. Eisenhower is another one. He was a general, later became a politician, became president of the United States. Matter of fact, I was born during his administration, 1959. And um, so it just goes to show you that some general, uh, Ulysses Grant was a general, became a politician. I think there was a few more in between there in our modern, modern day. I think Polk was a general. There's, um, there's a few that were generals in this, in the um, civil war and uh, in conflicts that, uh, that preceded the civil war. Um, anyway, recently, uh, well, actually recently, uh, the, uh, the military is really starting to get fed up with uh, not having the, the general staff, not having their back. Um, <clears throat> Recently, there's a General um, Milley, who's the leader of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who basically is about as woke as uh, your hippie down the street. Okay, he just doesn't exhibit it, all the attributes of the hippie down the street. But um, what I'd like to do is I, I did a little research on him. Uh, Wikipedia, and it's good enough when you're when you're looking at pond scum. Wikipedia is pretty good, but. Um, Anyway, 
can you tell I don't like this guy? His name is Mark Alexander Milley. He was born in 1958, June 18th, uh, approximately six months before I was, five months and 15 days, uh, 12 days. Um, anyway, he's a United States Army general and the 20th chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, he's previ- he previously served as 39th chief of the, of the staff of the Army. Um, and this guy, this guy was a liberal politician in the making. Okay, uh, get make no no make no um, mistake. This guy, he was groomed to be a liberal politician, and that's what he is. It wouldn't surprise me if the liberals ran him as president in, in eight years or so. Um, anyway, oh let's see, his father was a Navy corpsman, was in World War Two was with the 4th Marine Division and landed at Kwajalein and uh, Saipan and Tinian and Iwo Jima. His father looks like he, he served. He really served. I don't know if this guy was ever ever served. I don't know if he was ever pulled a, um, a weapon against somebody in, in battle. You know, as far as I can read, he's never served, um, you know, on the front line. I think he was – and he didn't go to West Point either. That's another thing that kind of bothers me. Um, okay. His father held a, uh, I guess it was a white-collar job. His mother was um, a nurse and served a, in the Navy um, in the um, the, wa- uh, the waves. They were a women's uh, military, basically, during World War II. Okay, so what about this guy? Well, he was born in Massachusetts. That's that's suspect right there. Most people are liberal that are born in Massachusetts. If you are a conservative born there, I apologize. I apologize for what I said, and I apologize for you. <laughs> um, you know, I just feel bad for you um, because I, I can only imagine the um, what you went through growing up and in your um, your young adult years, if you haven't gotten older, that is. Um, now, he attended uh, Belmont High School. That's really nothing. But he graduated from Princeton University with a Bachelor of Arts. That's a liberal arts school. Okay, anyway, that part of it is. There's, they have a great science program, but... I don't think this guy could muster the science program. So um, Bachelor of Arts degree in politics. So right there, he was being groomed to be a politician <laughs> right from his first day in college. He was okay. And he, he completed a 185 page thesis um, uh, when he got out of there um, or before he got out of there. Uh, let's see. Let's see, Millie also uh, holds a Master's of Arts, there we go again, degree in international relations from Columbia University. That's a very liberal college in New York City. Um, And uh, another Master of Arts degree in national security and strategic studies from the Naval War College. And uh, he also is an attendee of the MIT Center for International Studies. Boy, that's got, that's got, um, Deep stay written all over it right there. Um, anyway, so a little, little overview of his life here. <clears throat> and uh, I think that's all we need to know just from his education. You could tell that he was groomed to be a libtard and quite effective one, too. Uh, Irish Catholic, and um, I'm sure because both his mother and father are Irish. He could be an atheist for all I know. He kind of acts like one. Um he doesn't seem to have any empathy or, or love for anybody, as far as I can tell. Um, but, you know, I don't know the man totally. 
Um, it says here, Battles and Wars, Operation Just Cause, Operation Uphold Democracy, Operation Joint Endeavor, Iraqi War, and War in Afghanistan. But, you know, okay, Afghanistan, Iraq, and these three wars, I do believe, or I should say actions, maybe in wars, um, were all recent, okay, we're all in the last 20, 30 years. And he's probably been an officer for the last 20 or 30 years. I think he came out of college. He went to an ROTC program is what I read here. So, um, you know, he was groomed in college to be an officer. And so he never, probably never, I should say, served in any kind of um, wartime capacity. He probably sat in a desk on a back line somewhere making decisions that he probably would have regretted had he been a soldier out there fighting in, in the mud and dirt and everything else and having bullets was over his head. So. Uh, they could say he was in these battles or wars, but he was probably not in the uh, the capacity of someone who was dodging bullets and and uh, was really putting his life on the line. He's got a bunch of medals, too, and I don't know how he got those. But, you know, some people um, were born in a silver spoon in their mouth, you know. And some people who are, are going to be thrust into greatness are also, uh, are also given things that they didn't necessarily um, earn. Now, I could be wrong about this, okay? Um <clears throat> but um, from what I've read, he's basically, I don't know. I don't want to go any further into that. Okay. So what I'm going to do now is um, I'm going to show, I think it's three videos. And the one is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, who uh, recently made a video where he excoriated his superiors, telling them that they didn't know what they were doing in Afghanistan and that they should, that he didn't recognize that any of them said, hey, we were wrong. And uh, so, you know, that's a big thing right there. Hey, hey, you were wrong is, is a really good thing, you know. Um, I don't know. I guess psychopaths have their, have their place and sociopaths have their place in the military. Uh, and maybe, you know, I can't diagnose him, of course, but uh, he certainly has some of the traits uh, from what I've read anyway. And uh, the next video is going to be from Fox News, and it's all, it's talking about him and, and the woke generals and the woke Navy admirals and stuff like that. And I think the uh, commandant of um, the Marine Corps also. Um, very good video. And uh, the third is a little bit longer, and it's by it's the um, farewell address. Um, no, it wasn't farewell. It was the nineteen sixty. Yeah, I think it was nineteen sixty three. Um, Address that Douglas MacArthur gave to the um, the cadets or the graduating class of uh, West Point, and it was titled "Duty, Honor, and Country." It's a beautiful speech, and man, I'm telling you, if you're a person that's emotional, you may be crying at the end of the speech. Uh, MacArthur got a really raw deal. He, again, he was not a not seeking any kind of uh, political office after the war. He just wanted to be a soldier, and he wanted to be an effective soldier. He actually wanted to um, go into China um, while, while we were in Korea and help Mao Zedong to take back um, take back China for uh, you know for the capitalists uh, and put down the communist rebellion. Um, he received a lot of uh, flack for that, you know, because all these all these deep state people, all these communists and stuff, they're all in bed together. You don't know that, but th- they are. They um, they all received their orders from the uh, the elites. And um, that's why when they get together, they're all laughing and, uh, and patting each other on the shoulder and shaking hands because, you know, they're, they're in the same fraternity. They're in the same club. 
and that club is to is made to um, set up a one world order, a new world order. And um, anyway, uh, Douglas MacArthur in his speech warned us of this, and many of his speeches he warned us of this. There's a good speech that he made when he was um, in I think 1951 when he, he addressed Congress, and uh, he basically said. You know, you guys are, I've been forced out of this, and Truman was a jackass. Uh, yeah, I know he was because he was a Democrat, and that's their symbol. And boy, whoever picked that way back when, boy, was that applicable or what? Um, but anyway, yeah, Truman didn't like him, and Truman recalled him. And uh, it was seen as an, a scandal. It really was at the time. You know, Truman was very disliked because of that. Um, MacArthur was an excellent general. He, uh, he, prosecuted the war in the Pacific in a perfect manner. Um, took back everything that was uh, taken from the peoples that lived in the islands, uh, like the Philippines and, um, and China. He took, you know, he helped to bring about the, the end of the Japanese uh, military uh, when they couldn't fight anymore, wouldn't fight anymore. He was there. As a matter of fact, he was there when the Japanese surrendered on, um, I think it was the USS Missouri. And, uh, so, as a matter of fact, the Japanese really respected him because after uh, World War II, right at the end there, uh, especially with the Japanese, a lot of people in the United States wanted to just rip Japan apart. And he said, no, you can't do that. He says, these people will be a good ally of us if we just take it easy and we help to reform their government and turn it into a republic or something like a republic instead of being a monarchy and a dictatorship. And that's what he did. And that's why Japan uh, started to excel after the war. Uh, back in the 60s and 70s, we used to make jokes about Japan. Oh, yeah, they make garbage. They send garbage over here. But they really didn't. Yeah, some of their radios were the best that were ever sent over here. Their cars were a little funky because they were small. But after a while, you know, <laughs> drive down the road and see how many Toyotas and Nissans and, um, you know, all those different brands are driving down the road. Toyota is one of the biggest companies in the world, car companies. And, um, and now they've, they've actually, well, they have been for a while making cars here in the United States. They heard that, you know, we were all not too happy about everything being made in Japan. So they opened up factories here and started employing Americans. And, you know, it could be a difficult thing because Americans and Japanese are, we're brought up in different societies and the Japanese, um, expect different things than what the Americans want to give them. But, you know, it's the fact that they're they're all working here and it's been 20 or 30 years since they opened a factory here is a testimony that, you know, they, they've kind of given up a little bit in order to, to accumulate or acclimate, excuse me, a better word, to uh, American society. So anyway, uh, MacArthur, what he did was, was admirable. It was profitable and uh, it was the right thing to do. So um, I don't know. I never liked Truman, never liked Roosevelt. From what I've read, I, I wasn't alive back then. From what I've read, I they were um, they were characters that uh, really cannot uh, hold any esteem in my uh, in my uh, estimate. Well, any respect in my estimation. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and go over here. Let me go over here first. I want to open this up. Okay, and there's that um, that lieutenant colonel. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, make it large so that we can watch. It's a really good speech. It's a really good uh, what he sent. He's going to read a letter, part of the letter that he sent to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And you'll see why he got sacked today. But I really respect this man. I do 100 percent, a thousand percent respect him because 
as you'll see, he's given up everything. You know, he could have kept his mouth shut. He's He's been in the Marines for 20 years. He's served in battle for 17. And if he kept his mouth shut in about, what, I think three more years, he said, he could have retired and uh, gotten a wonderful pension, more money than you and I would ever get uh, retiring. And he'd have full medical benefits. So would his family. If anything happened to him, his family would, you know, would, would get lots of money. Um and he knows that, but he gave it up. And I'm sure as he, he talked it over with his wife before he did this. And, you know, it must have been a hard decision for her to make. But a lot of people are fed up with this garbage anymore. Um, many people in the military can see the writing on the wall, the handwriting on the wall. And, and they know that uh, things are going down the drain. And they know that if they don't do something really soon, that it's going to be too late to do anything. So I applaud this man for... Um, for speaking out and putting his career and possibly his life in danger. And, you know, if they court martial him, he could go to, he could go to Leavenworth, <laughs> but uh, I don't, I think he's made himself such a public figure now that he, um, you know, they have to be careful what they do. And uh, I don't know, maybe some of you will join him with the, if, the, if he needs a defense fund, <laughs> I think that I, the, I don't usually don't donate to things, but this was, would be something I donate to. So anyway, Without further ado, let me uh, let me start this up, and we'll we'll watch him, and then uh, we'll watch Fox News, and then we'll we'll cap it up with what a military man should actually be—a man of uh, duty, honor, and country. Something these generals know nothing about, and probably care nothing about. And if they've truly sworn to protect the Constitution, then they've broken their oath, um, and they're probably traitors. So. Anyway, so let me go ahead. I'll go over here. And uh, here we go, folks. Let's see. Go here. Good evening. My name is Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller, United States Marine Corps. I'm the current battalion commander for Advanced Infantry Training Battalion. I've been in the Marine Infantry for 17 years. Started my tour with Victor 1-8. It's the current unit that's doing perimeter security dealing with the mess that's going on there. I, you can see open source reporting that there was an explosion and some people were killed. I know through my inside channels that one of those people that were killed was a someone that I have a personal relationship with. We won't go into more details because the families are still being notified. Not making this video because um, it's you know potentially an emotional time, making it because I have a growing discontent and contempt for my perceived ineptitude at the foreign policy level and I want to specifically ask some questions to some of my senior leaders. And I'll say, as a person that's not at 20 years, um, I feel like I have a lot to lose. If you play chess, you can only see two to three moves out because there's too many variables. I thought through if, if I post this video, what might happen to me, especially if the video picks up traction, if I have the courage to post it. But I think what you believe in can only be defined by what you're willing to risk. So if I'm willing to risk my current battalion commander's seat, my retirement, my family's stability to say some of the things that I want to say, I think it gives me some moral high ground to demand the same honesty, integrity, accountability from my senior leaders. And so I want to start with, we'll just use the Marine Corps, my We'll just stick with the Marine Corps. So in the current fallout of Afghanistan, a lot of Marines were posting on social media. And in response to that, the Commandant published a letter, which is the service chief of the Marine Corps, 
and I'm going to read from it. It was dated 18 August, so only a week ago. The comment, sir, you wrote, some of you may be struggling with a simple question. Was it all worth it? We want you to know that your service is meaningful, powerful, and important. You fought for the Marine to your left and the Marine to your right. You never let them down. And then you go on to say that, you know, if we're, we're struggling, we should we should seek counseling, which, you know, I get it. People have killed people. Um, I've killed people, and I, and I seek counseling, um, and that's fine. There's a time and place for that. But the reason people are so upset on social media right now is not because the Marine on the battlefield let someone down. That service member has always rose to the occasion and done extraordinary things. People are upset because their senior leaders let them down, and none of them are raising their hands and accepting accountability or saying, we messed this up. If an 05 battalion commander has uh, the simplest live fire incident EO complaint, boom, fired. But we have a secretary of defense that testified to Congress in May that the Afghan National Security Force could withstand the Taliban advance. We have chairmen of Joint Chief, who the commandant is a member of that, who's supposed to advise on military policy. We have a Marine combatant commander. All of these people are supposed to advise. And I'm not saying we've got to be in, the, in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying... Did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? Did anyone do that? And when you didn't think to do that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed this up? I've got battalion commander friends right now that are posting similar things, and they're saying, you know, wondering if it, all the lives were lost and, and if it was in vain, all those, all those people that we've lost over the last you know, 20 years. And he goes on to say that we're all part of a chain. While every link may not be tested, the strength of the chain is only as strong as each link, and you got to be, you know, good link, something like that. And what I'll say is, and from my position, potentially all those people did die in vain if we don't have senior leaders that own up and and raise their hand and say we did not do this well in the end. Without that, we just keep repeating the same mistakes, this amalgamation of the economic slash corporate slash political slash higher military ranks are not holding up their end of the bargain. I want to say this very strongly. I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. Wow, pretty powerful, huh? I'll say. Um, yeah, the guy. Uh, hold on. Fox a News alert. Um, the guy is very brave, very brave, because you know, being in the military isn't like the rest of us that have nine to five jobs or had nine to five jobs, and we. You know, you lose that job, you just go to another one. Or you can tell your boss off and lose your job and then just go to another one. Um, no, he speaks out. He's he's going to have a court-martial. Uh, maybe people, maybe the uh, Joint Chiefs will see that uh, that the outcry uh, for his uh, release is um, so much that they'll let him go. But uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. I just don't know. It's a mess, and uh, it's good. Yeah. It's going to um, it's going to end up being a bigger mess. Uh, just and I feel bad for this guy because he's got the 
he's got the intestinal fortitude or testicular fortitude, let's put it that way, to to get out and say something. And I've been in his shoes before. You know, I really have not in such a grave instance, but, you know, speaking up. And then uh, I imagine maybe he had about 30 or 40 people that says, hey, we're right behind you, you know. And then uh, when the MPs come knocking on his door to arrest him, or the SPs as the case may be, uh, you know, there, there's going to be crickets. Nobody can be found. And uh, I hope that his friends had some integrity and they'll stick by him. But it's been my, my uh, I've had things happen like that where, you know, yeah, we'll back you up, we'll back you up. And then all of a sudden, you know, like the crickets are in the background and nobody can be found. And uh, if you say that so-and-so is with me, they, they don't back it up anyway. Um, so anyway, kudos. Uh, I hate using that word, but kudos, uh, Lieutenant Commander Scheller. Um, you have my respect. Semper Fi, dude. Okay, let's go to the next one. It's, a, it's from Fox, and it's um, quite revealing. Sorry, folks, I keep getting these messages during this show, and it drives me nuts. I know you can't hear the sound, but I can. <laughs> okay, let's go with this Fox one. Fox News alert. 90 retired military generals and admirals demanding Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Mark Milley resign over the mess in Afghanistan. In a letter, they argue Austin and Milley should have recommended against this dangerous withdrawal in the strongest possible terms. If they did not do everything within their authority to stop the hasty withdrawal. They should resign. There must be accountability at all levels for this tragic and avoidable debacle. Join us right now is retired Army Ranger, Congressman. Okay, folks, this is not the video I was looking for. Good morning. When it went to the other video, it kind of erased. Oh, that's really wonderful. Well, anyway, let's watch this. Maybe it'll have some redeeming value. But the other one was really excoriating. Um, I got an idea. I always have ideas. Whether they work out or not, it's a different story. <laughs> um, see if I can find it. Okay, please entertain me while I do, or please bear with me, I should say, while I do this. Uh, no, that's a that's about Bigfoot. Uh, goodness gracious. Okay, let's do this. Fox News. Okay, this may have been it right here. That's the guy right there. I should have never let that go as far as it did, folks. I apologize. I had this all set up. Okay, here's the deal. Why don't we um, go ahead and listen to MacArthur speak? I can find that one real easy. So let's see. Duty. Honor and country. Okay, there's one I picked that was really, really clear. You know, it didn't have any. Uh... <laughs> okay. And you have a 
a lot of times YouTube will move things around so that you think you've got it, but uh, you don't got it. <laughs> so I think we'll just go with the one that's right up on top. I think it's got a little more noise to it, but um, it's better than fumbling around and doing this, what we're doing here. So, okay. This is the one I want. Uh, it's 33 minutes, folks, but it's um, listen to every word that Douglas MacArthur says. Okay. He takes long pauses between sentences, and uh, that's, that was just his style. But uh, I think that it's uh, really important that we listen to what he has to say because what he says is something that the generals today do not do. You know, they're not into duty. If they're into duty, they wouldn't become politicians. If they were honorable, they wouldn't become politicians. My goodness, right there, right? And country, well, how many politicians do you know? And, and this Millie guy, you know, he's woke now. So how many politicians do we know that um, that are honorable, that uh, have the country in, in their mind? No, they, they have their political ambitions in their mind. So anyway, let's listen to this and see what Douglas MacArthur said. Um, at a speech um, at uh, West Point in 1952, May 12, 1952, this is this is a man that was honorable, that did his duty and loved his country. General Westmoreland, General Groves, distinguished guests. And gentlemen of the Corps, as I was leaving the hotel this morning, a doorman asked me, where are you bound for, General? And when I replied West Point, he remarked, beautiful place. Have you ever been there before? <laughs> no human being could fail to be deeply moved by such a tribute as this. Coming from a profession I have served so long and a people I have loved so well, it fills me with an emotion I cannot express. But this award. is not intended primarily to honor a personality, but to symbolize a great moral code. The code of conduct and chivalry of those who guard this beloved land of culture and ancient descent. That is the animation 
of this medallion. For all eyes and for all time, it is an expression of the ethics of the American soldier that I should be integrated in this way with so noble an ideal arouses a sense of pride and yet of humility which will be with me always. Duty, honor, country. Those three hallowed words reverently dictate what you ought to be, what you can be, what you will be. They are your rallying points to build courage when courage seems to fail, to regain faith when there seems to be little cause for faith, to create hope when hope becomes forlorn. Unhappily, I possess neither that eloquence of diction, that poetry of imagination, nor that brilliance of metaphor to tell you all that they mean. The unbeliever will say they are but words. You're right back, folks. But a slogan. But a flamboyant phrase. Every pedant, every demagogue, every cynic, every hypocrite, every troublemaker, and I am sorry to say, some others of an entirely different character will try to downgrade them even to the extent of mockery and ridicule. But these are some of the things they do. They build your basic character. They mold you for your future roles as the custodians of the nation's defense. They make you strong enough to know when you are weak and brave enough to face yourself when you are a friend. They teach you to be proud and unbending 
in honest failure. But humble and gentle in success. Not to substitute words for actions. Not to seek the path of comfort. But to face the stress and spur of difficulty and challenge. To learn to stand up in the storm, but to have compassion on those who fall. To master yourself before you seek to master others. To have a heart that is clean, a goal that is high. To learn to laugh, but yet never forget how to weep. To reach into the future, yet never neglect the past. To be serious, yet never to take yourself too seriously. To be modest, so that you will remember the simplicity of true greatness, the open mind of true wisdom, the meekness of true strength. They give you a temper of the will, a quality of the imagination, a vigor of the emotions, a freshness of the deep springs of life a temperamental predominance of courage over timidity, of an appetite for adventure over love of ease. They create in your heart the sense of wonder, the unfailing hope of what next and the joy and inspiration of life. They teach you in this way to be an officer and a gentleman. And what sort of soldiers those you are to lead. Are they reliable? Are they brave? Are they capable of victory? Their story is known to all of you. It is the story of the American man-at-arms. My estimate of him was formed on the battlefield 
many, many years ago and has never changed. I regarded him then as I regard him now as one of the world's noblest figures, not only as one of the finest military characters, but also as one of the most stainless. His name and fame are the birthright of every American citizen in his youth and strength, his love and loyalty. He gave all that mortality can give. He needs no eulogy from me or from any other man. He has written his own history and written it in red on his enemy's breast. But when I think of his patience under adversity, of his courage under fire, and of his modesty and victory, I am filled with an emotion of admiration I cannot put into words. He belongs to history as furnishing one of the greatest examples of successful patriotism. He belongs to posterity as the instructor of future generations in the principles of liberty and freedom. He belongs to the present, to us, by his virtues and by his achievements. In 20 campaigns, on a hundred battlefields, around a thousand campfires, I have witnessed that enduring fortitude, that patriotic self-abnegation, and that invincible determination which have carved his statue in the hearts of his people. From one end of the world to the other, he has drained deep the chalice of courage. As I listen to those songs, in memory's eye, I could see those staggering columns of the First World War, bending under soggy packs on many a weary march. From dripping dust 
the drizzling dawn, slogging ankle deep through the mire of shell shock roads to form grimly for the attack, blue lipped, covered with sludge and mud, chilled by the wind and rain driving home to their objective, and for many, to the judgment seat of God. I do not know the dignity of their birth, but I do know the glory of their death. They died unquestioning, uncomplaining, with faith in their hearts and on their lips, the hope that we would go on to victory. Always for them, duty, honor. Always their blood and sweat and tears as we sought the way and the light and the truth. And twenty years after, on the other side of the globe, again, the filth of murky foxholes, the stench of ghostly trenches, the slime of dripping dugouts, those broiling suns of relentless heat, those torrential rains of devastating storms, the loneliness and utter desolation of jungle trails, the bitterness of long separation from those they loved and cherished, the deadly pestilence of tropical disease, the horror of stricken areas of war, their resolute and determined defense, their swift and sure attack, their indomitable purpose, their complete and decisive victory, always victory, always through the bloody haze of their last reverberating shot, the vision of God, ghastly men reverently following your password of duty, honor, country. The code which those words perpetuate embraces the highest moral laws 
and will stand the test of any ethics or philosophies ever promulgated for the uplift of mankind. Its requirements are for the things that are right, and its restraints are from the things that are wrong. The soldier, above all the men, is required to practice the greatest act of religious training, sacrifice, in battle and in the face of danger and death. He discloses those divine attributes which his Maker gave when he created man in his own image. No physical courage and no brute instinct can take the place of the divine help, which alone can sustain him. However horrible the incidents of war may be, the soldier who is called upon to offer and to give his life for his country is the noblest development of mankind. You now face a new world, a world of change. The thrust into outer space of the satellite spheres and missiles mark the beginning of another epoch in the long story of mankind. In the five or more billions of years, the scientists tell us it has taken to form the Earth. In the three or more billion years of development of the human race, there has never been a more abrupt or staggering evolution. We deal now not with things of this world alone, but with the illimitable distances and as yet unfathomed mysteries of the universe. We are reaching out for a new and boundless frontier. We speak in strange terms of harnessing the cosmic energy, of making winds and tides work for us, of creating unheard 
synthetic materials to supplement or even replace our old standard basins, to purify seawater for our drink, of mining ocean floors for new fields of wealth and food, of disease preventatives to expand life into the hundred of years, of controlling the weather for a more equitable distribution of heat and cold, of rain and shine, of spaceships to the moon, of the primary target in war, no longer limited to the armed forces of an enemy, but instead to include his civil populations of ultimate conflict between a united human race and the sinister forces of some other planetary galaxy of such dreams and fantasies as to make life the most exciting of all time. And through all this welfare of change and development, your mission remains fixed, determined, inviolable. It is to win our war. Everything else in your professional career is but corollary to this vital dedication. All of the public purposes, all of the public projects, all of the public needs, great or small, will find others of their accomplishment. But you are the ones who are trained to fight. Yours is the profession of arms, the will to win, the sure knowledge that in war there is no substitute for victory, that if you lose, the nation will be destroyed that the very obsession of your public service must be duty, honor, country. Others will debate the controversial issues, national and international, which divide men's minds, but serene, calm, Aloof, you stand as the nation's war guardian, as its lifeguard from the raging tides of international conflict, as its gladiator in the arena of battle. For a century and a half, you have defended 
guarded and protected its hallowed traditions of liberty and freedom, of right and justice. Let civilian voices argue the merits or demerits of our processes of government. Whether our strength is being sapped by deficit financing indulged in too long, by federal paternalism grown too mighty, by power groups grown too arrogant, by politics grown too corrupt, by crime grown too rampant, by morals grown too low, by taxes grown too high, by extremists grown too violent, whether our personal liberties are as thorough and complete as they should be, these great national problems are not for your professional participation or military solution. Your guidepost stands out like a tenfold beacon in the night. Duty, honor, country. You are the leaven which binds together the entire fabric of our national system of defense. From your ranks come the great captains who hold the nation's destiny in their hands the moment the war toxin sounds. A long gray line has never failed us. Were you to do so, a million ghosts in olive drab, in brown cocky, in blue and gray, would rise from their white crosses, thundering those magic words, duty, honor, country. This does not mean that you are warmongers. On the contrary, the soldier, above all of the people, prays for peace, for he must suffer and bear the deepest wounds and scars of war. But always in our ears, Ring the ominous words of Plato, that wisest of all philosophers. Only the dead have seen the end of war. Shadows are lengthening for me. The twilight is here. My days of old 
at any tone and tint. They have gone glimmering through the dreams of things that were. Their memory is one of wondrous beauty watered by tears and coaxed and caressed by the smiles of yesterday. I listen vainly, but with thirsty ears for the witching melody of faint bugles blowing revelry. A far drum beating the long road. In my dreams, I hear again the crash of guns, the rattle of musketry, the strange, mournful mutter of the battlefield. In the evening of my memory, always I come back to West Point. Always there echoes and re-echoes duty, honor, country. Today marks my final roll call with you. But I want you to know that when I cross the river, my last conscious thoughts will be of the core and the core and the core. I bid you farewell. Wow. <laughs> it's hard to listen to that and uh, not get emotional. <clears throat> My dad always held this man in great esteem, and now I see why. Well, I've known why for I've seen this before, but every time I listen to this, it's it's like I've heard it for the first time. Um I do think I found another video. That's what I was doing while I was, I was putzing around while uh, General MacArthur was speaking. So I'm going to type this in to see if... Oh, there it is. I knew we'd been here before. And I listened to it. Okay, here we go, folks. I'm going to go ahead and uh, play this. This guy is really good. His name is um, Ben uh, Dominic or Dominic. And uh, man, he tells it how it is. <laughs> I uh, I was listening to it earlier and I went, oh my goodness. This guy's amazing. Okay, here we go. Hopefully there's no commercials in this, but if there is, I apologize. Your medicine helps you live your yep. life. We don't have to listen to it. 
used to be YouTube. You could watch it without all this garbage. With the failures of the country's top general. You, you'd be forgiven if you thought General Mark Milley's aim in senior leadership was to break his own army. His record in office, first as Army Chief of Staff, and now as Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, is a dismal roll call of failures. He's never paid a price for them, but the Army has, and the country has. General Milley's record of achievements, such as they are, include episodes of profound blundering, a persistent misunderstanding of the national interest, and a dangerous willingness to politicize the Army of the United States. To list just a few, General Milley presided over the disastrous rollout of the Army Combat Fitness Test. The ACFT is a misguided, unrealistic, and expensive effort to essentially compel the entire Army to do CrossFit. The general ignored numerous voices within the Army warning against the new test. Those voices were vindicated, and today the ACFT is a, now a byword for leadership myopia. General Milley tried to stonewall the Army's own report on its performance in the Iraq War, running interference to keep the Army's mistakes from being aired in public. He relented only after public pressure that never should have been necessary. General Milley presided over a historic recruiting crisis, for the Army especially, but also for the armed forces at large. But he did bring back Second World War-style uniforms, which is a nice reminder of when our Army could win a major war. Speaking of winning, General Milley's record will likely include presiding over America's defeat in Afghanistan, culminating in the fall of Kabul to the Taliban, and a series of massacres thereafter. While our national failures in Afghanistan extend across two decades, it's fair to note that his voice has been absent from the public square on this point. You'd expect a general to want to win. General Milley was a major force undermining the constitutional authority of the President of the United States during the insurrectionary summer of 2020. While American cities were literally on fire in the grip of a violent uprising with a body count and pervasive fear, Milley assumed for himself the role of preventing the President from using his lawful authority to bring peace and order to our communities. He made it his mission to deny the American people the lawful and constitutional aid of their own armed forces. It was Milley who apologized for appearing with the president following the now infamous clearance of Lafayette Square, despite the fact revealed earlier this month that the clearance was pre-planned and not the president's doing. I should not have been there. My presence in that moment and in that environment created a perception of the military involved in domestic politics. As a commissioned uniformed officer, it was a mistake that I've learned from, and I sincerely hope we all can learn from it. General Milley also defended the slow, erratic, and uncertain National Guard response to the January 6th overrunning of the U.S. Capitol as super fast and sprint speed, earning the justified derision of the Speaker of the House and anyone who bothered to watch television at the time. But who are you going to believe, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs or your own lying eyes? That's the public record of General Mark Milley. In any organization but the federal government, any single one of these steps would have sent him out the door. Instead, like every other D.C. creature, the ladder leads only upwards so long as you stay in the good graces of the right people. Don't misunderstand me. Mark Milley isn't even slightly unusual in his sphere. Our armed forces remains a stronghold of brave patriots. But once you get that first star on, <clears throat> things change. Advancement becomes about subjective politics, not empirical outcomes. When your next job and your next promotion depend on a vote of the United States Senate, their priorities become your own, and you start to resemble a senator more and more, and a general less and less. So look past Mark Milley for a moment. 
Look at the disaster of an Air Force spending billions on aircraft that still don't quite work. Look at the disaster of the Navy's accident-prone 7th Fleet, supposedly our first line of defense against an aggressive China. Look at the men and women responsible, all the generals, all the admirals. Mark Milley is one of them. The crisis of our armed forces is in, fa in the fact that he is ordinary. There are over 50 books in my reading list to give our sailors all is looking inwardly and being honest with ourselves in areas that we need to improve. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. I'm putting China and Russia up there. That is not, however, in conflict with the acknowledgement that climate change or infrastructure or education systems, national security has a broad angle to it. This is a group of leaders who are masters at political climbing, media engagement, and spending trillions in your taxpayer dollars. They even get the praise of one useful media idiot after another, whose natural inclination is to yes-queen anyone who agrees with their woke ideology, no matter how obvious it is that they fail in any measure of success at their actual job. Keep in mind, these vaunted leaders haven't won a war since February 28, 1991. This story is as much about the failure of the United States military as an institution as it is about Millie the man. We get what the system gives us, and if we don't fight against it, it's what we deserve. In this case, a series of aging politicians who can't win wars. We used to recall our generals from retirement to serve during a time of war, but now they've become so political, they hang around until they are eventually pushed out, usually in a swirl of controversy, and years past the mandatory retirement. There's little difference between the brands of these generals and any other major brand that has declined in recent years. Desperate to distract you from their own failure, they seize on something else, anything else, to turn criticism of their performance into an act that indicates racism, bigotry, guilt, or dishonor on the part of any critic. And that's how you end up with a person who is more focused on perceived domestic issues than on preparing the American armed forces to contain, to deter, and if necessary, to win a war with China. So when you look at General Mark Milley, USA, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, put on his show of indignation in the face of entirely justified civilian oversight, as he did a few days back, in response to sharp congressional questions on whether the military has gone woke, just know that it's all for show. I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. So what if I told you, General Milley, that a flag officer of the United States Army addressed the 2020 graduates of the National Defense University with an affirmation that America is guilty of centuries of injustice toward African Americans, that America is afflicted with an original sin in Jamestown 401 years ago, and further, that our country features structural preferences, patterns of mistreatment, and unspoken and unconscious bias. Would you say that officer is woke, General Milley? Would you be offended at the term? Would you acknowledge that this officer, parroting the cant straight off the pages of the 1619 Project, is voicing the exact ideology your congressional questioners alleged? Of course, I don't have to ask you the hypothetical. Those words are yours. That officer is you. And this country and the brave men and women of every race, color, and creed who serve in her defense deserve better. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click okay. here to subscribe to Fox News' YouTube page That's and okay, catch our hot... Later on, Sean. Um, <clears throat> quite interesting. I think that guy called it perfectly. Perfectly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me.
the smoke outside gets to me, folks. Sorry. Um, yeah, he called it perfectly. The guy's a politician. He's not a, he's not a military officer anymore. He's a politician. And nobody voted him in. Nobody voted him in. But he's a politician in the guise of a general officer. And he couldn't fight his way out of a paper bag, let alone fight anything in, in the battlefield. Um, he's a disgrace. And I've been toying about something to tell him. Uh, you are a disgrace, General Till, uh, Millie, excuse me. And if you were an honorable man, I, I know you're not going to apologize for what you said because you, you're, you're a psychopath, you're a sociopath, and sociopaths don't apologize. But do yourself and the country a favor and, and leave, all, leave the military. Just go. We don't need you. Um, and... You know what? I'm a believer in Yeshua. I can't say what I was going to say. Uh, I just can't say it. I, I pray for the guy that he gets saved, but knowing who he is and what he is, I, I doubt that's possible. You know, God is a God of miracles, so uh, Jesus or Yeshua can, can do anything. And so if it's your destiny, General Milley, to, to come to know Yeshua and to enter into the kingdom of heaven, then so be it. Uh, but to, what looks impossible to me, God is possible to do. Okay. Um, anyway, folks, um, it's just, uh, I don't know. I get so frustrated with these people. You know, you thought you had the military and, you know, on your side and look what this guy did to Trump, you know, <laughs> uh, he doesn't, he says that he was, he was sorry that he ever stood with Trump by the church. But he's got the tenacity to go stand with Biden in the Oval Office with his secretary of defense, whatever that guy is. Uh, you know, what what a set of uh, steel cojones this guy has, you know, um, major hypocrite, major, major hypocrite. Um, so if, if you've got an ounce of decency, Mr. Milley. An ounce, even a half an ounce, a quarter ounce. Leave, leave the military and get out. Uh, this country doesn't need you. We've had our Benedict Arnolds, and you're one of them. And we don't need another one. Okay, so bye-bye. See you later, Mr. Milley. Um, okay, folks. This country has endured its traitors. Um uh, from Benedict Arnold all the way to the present day. It's just that this guy, this Millie guy, he, uh, the Bible uses the term willfully ignorant, and it means dumb on purpose, stupid on purpose. He knows what he's doing, but he acts like he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm sure that when all of his uh, cohorts get together, you know, all the, all the libtards get together, that he's just as venomous as anybody else could be. You know, he's not a victim. He's he did something stupid and he's he instead of paying for it and saying it was wrong, like Lieutenant Colonel said, just admit you were wrong. You know, so what he does is instead of doing that, he removes the Lieutenant Colonel from his duty and will probably have him court martial. God, I hope not. 
I hope the military is smart enough to see that this guy, this Lieutenant Colonel Shelley, has created a windstorm that can very easily blow up into a hurricane and take all the general staff down. Okay. Uh, he, he's been very vocal about having the, um, the milias about having the, uh, all the soldiers inoculated for COVID-19. And let me ask you a question. What would the Chinese love more than an American military that is so sick or potentially sick that it won't be able to fight on the battlefield. If he inoculates, if they allowed the the COVID-19 vaccine, the mRNA vaccine, to be given to the, to all of our soldiers, and if they are forced to take it, um, it's going to decimate our military. And he knows that. I know he knows it. You know, but he doesn't care because he sold out to the Chinese. You see, you got these these worms that are in in the general staff, and they know what's coming. They know the Chinese are coming. And if the Chinese are able to take over, well, Millie's got a position because he's done their bidding. He's done their due, you know, and he can have a place. He thinks he can have a place of safety and maybe as a um, a spokesman or a, a negotiator between the American military and the, the Chinese military. Uh, you know, he's doing it to save his own bacon, but. He hasn't, you know, he said he's read, he's read Mao and he's read, um, Lenin and he's read Marx. Okay. First of all, if you're reading him for a, for a history lesson, that's fine. But when you read them and then you start practicing some of their, um, some of the uh, behaviors or the dictates of communism, that tells me that he read them so that he could know what to be. Uh, if and when the Chinese military comes rolling into Washington or even into the West Coast, he's going to flip like that. He's he's going to screw America, you know, and he's signing his own death warrant because people like the Chinese, what they do is they'll use him for a little while. And then when he's no longer useful, he's going to receive a bullet in the back of the head or stand in front of a firing squad. And he'll be killed by the very people that he's advocating for. History has shown it time and time again that communist dictators only use people. They're called useful idiots. And that's what this guy is, a useful idiot. You are, Millie. You're a useful idiot. And until, until they don't need him anymore. And then he and his family, uh, they'll go after his whole family. They'll go after his children, his wife, his grandchildren, and everything else. And he's too stupid to realize it. Well, <laughs> you get what you deserve, Millie, when the rest of us are are, you know, lying in our graves and whatever because of you, uh, because you didn't take any action to put down an invasion, and you welcomed them with open arms, uh, then it's going to be your turn, Millie. Uh, so you can either change or you could do what you keep doing what you're doing. Um, but that day, it'll be preferable that you would have, at this time, taken a Harry Carey sword and commit Harry Carey. You know, because that's what awaits you. But it's not going to just be you. It's going to be your family, your extended family, everybody that's related to you, because that's what the Chinese do. They don't pussyfoot around. They're not liberal, leftist liberal libtards like you are, Millie. So just keep that in mind, okay? Because it's something that's going to happen. 
and you've, you've signed your own death warrant. And it's not going to be an American patriot. It's not going to be some screwball that doesn't have his mental facilities or faculties um, that's going to take you out. It's going to be the very people that you're helping to get into this country. And that's all it is. That's, that's what's going to happen to you, Millie. You and all your cohorts in the general staff and all the people that are below you that are doing your bidding, um, that believe in what you're doing and are doing your bidding. So if you're one of those people, get out while you can, you know, because there's a storm coming and Millie's going to get swept up in it. He's going to be pulled up into the clouds by a Chinese tornado and dropped from a thousand feet. And they're going to pick you up, too, unless you get out of it right now. Um, I don't think it's too late, but get out of it. Recant if you can. Um, tell the senators to go to a Republican Senate, don't go to a Democrat. Oh, don't ever go to a Democrat. And and tell them what's going on. Tell them what you've seen, what you've heard. And if five or six of you get up and do that, <clears throat> then maybe the guy will be removed from office. But doubt doubt it because look who's in office. Uh, a guy that took the presidency because he lied and cheated and uh, and committed fraud. Uh, this is the kind of people they say um, birds of a feather flock together. Well, <laughs> there you go. He's standing with with Biden in the, the stupid uh, Oval Office and uh, and recants having stood with Bush outside that church. You know, um, it'd be better for him that a millstone were tied around his neck and he was he was cast into the depths of the sea. Uh, and God knows what else he's involved in because a lot of those people in Washington are in there with some weird stuff. So um, I don't know if he is. I'm not going to say that. But, hey, if you're, if you're playing the game and you're up there, um, there's a chance that maybe they've offered you something. You've taken advantage of it. They've got pictures, and they can let everybody know about it, and, and you're going to end up paying the price. So I don't feel sorry for you. I really don't. Uh, one of your cohorts said that the people that are stuck in Afghanistan still um, decided to stay there, <clears throat> and it was their fault. Well, the things that you're going to get punished for, Millie, is your fault, and you're not going to be able to blame it on anybody else. Uh, technically, you're not going to be. You'll try. You know, you'll blame it on an admiral or a, a lower general than you or a lieutenant colonel, like the one that's trying to expose you, and that'll be it. Um, but there's a scripture, General Tilly, it says, everything that's done in, in, in the dark will have light shined upon it, and everything that's said in secret will be shattered from the housetops. And you better believe that's what's awaiting you. So you can get clean now, or you can wait till it comes out in public, <clears throat> upon which time you'll be excoriated. Um, and if the other scenario happens and the Chinese do come in, they'll use you for a little while, and then they'll cast you away. And I don't mean they're going to drive you out of town. <laughs> they're going to drive you out of your life. So anyway, folks, that's what that's what everything <clears throat> justice is always accomplished. OK, if not in this world, then the next. If Millie were to get away with everything that he's doing and, every, and all the, the plans that he's <clears throat> making to come about for the New World Order and the, the deep state. And he, and he lived the rest of his life and then, then passed away quietly asleep. He'd wake up in hell. And he may not believe in that. He may not believe in hell, but it's there. And it ain't no pleasant place. It really isn't. Um, and I really don't want him to find that out. I wish he'd come clean and just recant and uh, 
and maybe leave the general staff, um, resign his commission and, and go into retirement or something. Uh, anyway, I guess that's it for that. But, uh, folks, um, there's, like I said, there's a storm coming and the people that are in the path of the storm, it's not going to be good for them. Um, from the highest general to the president, um, from the highest general down to the, the poor schmuck that in Portland that voted for, for Obama and thinking that he was doing his country a service, you know, it's going to be payback time and it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be, um, patriots. It's not going to be by human hands that these people are going to be dealt with. It's going to be by divine hands because there's seven things that God hates. I can't remember them all right now where I'd quote them. And most leftists and liberals are guilty of about six out of the seven, at least. I mean, some of them are guilty of seven. And uh, <clears throat> scriptures real, real quick to say that God will not be mocked. And every one of you that are out there mocking God, well, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, you think I'm a Bible thumper and I'm just saying this stuff, but it's going to happen. I know in my heart it's going to happen. I know, like I know the sun's coming up tomorrow. Like I know it's going to set tomorrow. Like I know the moon's going to go through all the phases in 28 days. Just as those things happen, your day is coming. So, and again, I said it's not going to be by human hands. It's going to be with divine hands. And he don't need no help. He doesn't need any help to do what he's got to do. So, um, anyway, folks, we need to, keep our military members in prayer because they're they're being assaulted by the general officers and by the president and all the Democrats and the secretary of defense and everybody else. They're being assaulted and they're, they're being assaulted because they are our line of defense. <clears throat> and without them, hey, the door is open. You think people are flooding in the south border? Wait till the, the military is not around anymore. My God. And hopefully it never happens. Okay. Um, and folks, if you're in the military and they're forcing to do that, think about this. That shot could kill you. It could make you severely ill to where you wish you were dead. Okay. <clears throat> What's more important, taking that garbage into your arm, maybe for two shots and then for a booster and then for another booster and another booster and another booster and another booster and another booster, and another booster until you're so boosted out that, you know, your, your immune system is just going to say, I'm done. You know, and you're just going to go to sleep one night and not even wake up. If you're lucky, if you're not lucky, you're going to get some um, um, disease, immunocosuppressant disease um, that's going to take over your body. And, you know, there's many of them. There's lupus, there's MS, there's 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 tons of them. And and they're all nasty. Lou Gehrig's disease, the really bad one. Um, So. You know, that's what it's opening up people for. So please, we love our people in the military. Think about it. A court martial. How many people can they court martial? Even if a third of all military members said, no, I'm not going to do it. That would cause people to wake up and take notice. And people would cry out and you guys would be out of jail, fist, you know, out of prison or whatever the break uh, faster than you could think about it. Okay. Many of us in the civilian sector have purpose not to take that death jab and not to abide by some of the things that the, uh, the governors are imposing upon us in the blue states. Um, and we know that 
you know, there could, there's a possibility that we get turned in, uh, end up in jail, um, if it's allowed to go that far. But we decided not to do it. And we watch every day as loved ones are, are struggling with that, the stupid jab. Do I get it? Do I don't get it? And they got a thousand commercials on TV every day saying, do it, do it, do it. You know, and then they, you know, somebody like me or you walks up to them and says, don't do it. It means your life. You know, and that's one voice. And then they're here, do it, do it, do it, get it, get it, get it. Well, sooner or later, they get worn down and they do it. Um, for the most part, hopefully not, but most people do. They get tired of hearing, heck, I'm going to do it just to get it over with so I don't hear it anymore. And, uh, but please, military members, anybody that hasn't had that death jab yet, don't get it. Please don't get it. Um, I would rather die with COVID than get that shot and know that I could die a miserable death over a long period of time. And that's what seems to be happening. Okay. Um, we've had some church members that have actually uh, recently come down with the Delta variant, Delta variant. It's a, it's a, it's an illness, but. Brian knows, and I know of people, I don't know them personally, but I've heard about them, that have gotten a death jab and have gotten sick and died. And folks, if you do have to go into the hospital, do not let them put you on a ventilator. It'll kill you. They're all dying when they're on ventilators. This is not a respiratory disease. This is a disease of the blood. This is a blood clotting disease. The clots start in your lungs. And they basically choke off your lungs and you die. They could put thin thousand tubes down your throat and it's not going to help you. Okay. If you're going to, if you're going to survive with a tube down your throat, it's because your body's surviving. It's because your body has the will to get over it and it has the strength to get over it and has the antibodies to get over it. Okay. And if you already had it, like I had in January of last year, you got nothing to worry about. If you had it, don't get that stupid jab. Okay. Um, you have an immunity to it now. And you don't need that spike protein in your body. Uh, we, we just read an article my wife and I did today about some guy who died because, and when he died, they, you know, they did an autopsy and they found the spike protein all throughout his liver. Your liver is a very important, um, item. Yes, if you can lose, uh, I think about a third of it and it'll grow back. But if it's destroyed by spike proteins, it can't. And they're finding the spike proteins in the livers and the kidneys and the spleens, all the important organs in the lungs. Yeah, try going a day without your lungs. Yeah, <laughs> you go about 30 seconds without your lungs. <clears throat> and if you went that far, and uh, and if it gets in there, it can get into your brain too. And folks, it's not a good thing. Not a good thing. And I'm speaking to somebody, I'm a nurse. And I, I can even lose my license for telling you this. I'm not diagnosing and I'm not prescribing. I'm giving you advice, okay? And it's advice that's all over the place on the internet. And there's scientific studies that show this advice is true. Everything else. So I'm just echoing what I've heard and what's made sense to me medically and through discernment. And you take it and you die. If not right away, later on. Okay. Don't do that to your family. Don't do that to your loved ones. Don't do it to yourself. My goodness. So those things haven't been said, folks. Um, Please, if you're a praying person, pray for the military. They need it. They've given up their, their lives. They've given up their, you know, I mean, their livelihoods or could be livelihoods 
They've given up their freedoms to be servants to you, to be protectors of your liberty, your sovereignty, and things that every all those things that the enemy is trying to take away through Biden and all the all the Democrats, all the Repub- I mean, all the rhinos, and um, and all the uh, all the leftists on both sides. Um, don't trust Lindsey Graham. Whatever you do, don't trust him. The guy's a snake. Um, <clears throat> but uh, anyway, so I think I'm going to close off with that. Uh, so you've seen that people in the military are fighting back. Um, they've got a large mountain they have to climb to fight back, so keep them in prayer. Um, and pray that Yahweh does something to remove the general staff out of office. And, of course, to remove... The, uh, the fraudulent president and the fraudulent vice president out of office in a way that Nancy Pelosi cannot take over if they're both gone. Okay. That woman gets hold of the country. Whew. It'll make Kamala Harris look like a walk in the park. Um, I mean, they're all wicked, but Nancy Pelosi is, she's wicked. She's, she's the textbook definition of wicked. She's evil, wicked, evil, and um, abominable. That's a good word. She's abominable. <clears throat> anyway, folks, with that in mind, um, remember that in all these times <clears throat> of trouble and woe, in all these times of sadness, these times of uncertainty, that's all over the place now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Remember that Yahweh is up there watching over us. Okay. And if you belong to him, if you're one of his, you've got good insurance. Scott, <clears throat> pardon me. And you have somebody that cares about you more than anybody in this world is going to care about you. Okay. And even if it leads to death, you have eternity in heaven. Um, those who don't know him don't have eternity in heaven. It's a sad state of affairs. But uh, anyway, so just know that there is somebody that's that's in control of all this. He has to let some of this stuff happen. Um because ultimately, it's all leading to the return of our Lord and Savior, Yahweh's Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lamb of God, the one that died to take away our sins. He doesn't cover them. He takes them away. I hate those songs. Oh, God covered my sin. No, he didn't. In the Old Testament, God covered sin. In the New Testament, he removes it. He washes you whiter than snow. That's not covering it. <laughs> um, anyway, so know that he's up there or there, I should say, and that he's outside of time and space, so things that happen in this universe do not affect him. And even if they did, he's God. What can it do? Um, But it doesn't. And just know that um, he's got our best interests at heart. He he calls us his children. He calls us his little flock. I like that, part of his little flock. And um, he's a good shepherd. He really is. He's always there in times of trouble. Always there when we need him, and uh, he cares for us. So if you don't know him, write to me or just ask somebody. Um, go to a Baptist church and ask them. You know, I want to know the Lord. Can you tell me more about him? Pray to him. Say, hey, I want to know more about you. Tell me about you. Now, he might do it. He might speak into your ear. He might speak to your heart. He might lead you to somebody or lead you to a church to go to. So leave all the possibilities open. Okay, unless he tells you to go to churches. No, he wouldn't tell you that. <laughs> Never mind. Um, but uh, there's coming a time when you're going to be 
forced to choose one side, God's side or Satan's side. But you can make that choice now, okay? When the time comes, you're going to be forced to take Satan's side, okay? And uh, it's not going to be pretty. But if you make the choice for God right now, then for Yahweh, uh, then you're getting a head start on what you would eventually do in the future, right? <laughs> um, anyway, so I know I'm babbling. I'm going to get going here. So anyway, until I, we meet again, which could be tomorrow or it could be next Monday. Uh, we're going to have Ralph Everson on again next Monday. He wants to finish what he started on this last Monday. So uh, he'll be on Monday night at 7 o'clock. And uh, I know a lot of you like him. He's a character. He really is. I, I love him like I, I love like a father. He's almost like a father figure to me. He's old enough to be my father. Um, and I don't know. I just have a respect for the guy that kind of transcends all kinds of respect. You know, it's just he's like a brother. He's almost like a relative to me. He really is. And uh, he's got my respect. And, uh, and he likes to kid around. And so do I. So, um Anyway, we do that a lot. Sometimes it comes across on the show. <laughs> but um, anyway, so he'll, yeah, he'll be with us on Monday. And uh, if you're on Spreaker or Podbean, um, thank you for being part of our audience. Uh, our really, we're really growing on Spreaker and Podbean. Um, Spreaker's really taken off. And because so many people draw from Spreaker, so many companies like uh, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts and, and all the other ones, they, they draw from what's on Spreaker. And, uh, man, I'm just watching it go, you know, and, uh, it's really neat. It really is. And it's not anything we did. It's what he did. It's not what we did. It's what he did. Oh, I like that. That'd be a good t-shirt. Um, anyway, or, or coffee mug or pen or whatever. <laughs> Bumper sticker. There you go. Um, Anyway, folks, uh, until that time, uh, may God um, keep his eye on you, uh, protect you. May he uh, be there and you're going out and coming in. You're rising up and you're laying down. Uh, may he bring you peace and contentment and joy. In Yeshua's holy name, amen. Live long and prosper. Good night, folks. <laughs>